the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. There's a uh, young thinker who is making a big impact. His name his name is C- Coleman Hughes. The End of Race Politics, Arguments for a Colorblind America. To give you an idea of how sick our education system is, the University of California has listed colorblind as a microaggression. The whole point of being raised a liberal Democrat, I stayed liberal and therefore I'm a conservative, and I left the Democratic Party because it's no longer liberal. But the whole point of my upbringing was to be colorblind. The end of race politics, arguments for a colorblind America, Coleman Hughes, Ironically, I have to say this, it's ironic in light of the topic, but it is what it is. He is black himself, and he's a major young thinker. The End of Race Politics just came out. The book is up at DennisPrager.com. Arguments for a colorblind America. Coleman Hughes, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Thank you for having me on. You have a podcast. Tell everybody about that. It's called Conversations with Coleman. I usually release about once a week, deal with all, all kinds of topics, including probably some of the same topics you deal with on this show. So were you always, may I ask how old you are? 27. Were you always of this opinion or, or did you come to it to the extent that one can use the term later in life? When I was a kid, I, I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey, which uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with if they know the New York area. It's a liberal town. Uh, it's a racially diverse town. I think I knew exactly one Republican growing up to give you a sense of how liberal the town is. And we had the attitude towards race was that we every year would have a, a, a ceremony on Martin Luther King's Day, listen to the I Have a Dream speech, and I felt goosebumps from it, as I think everyone did, and took quite seriously the uh, imperative to judge people based on the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. Uh, I had black friends, white friends, Hispanic friends, and so forth, but I did not think of them as my black friend, my Hispanic friend, my white friend. I just thought of them by their names and their individual characters. So I took for granted uh, as obvious that that approach towards racial identity is the right one. Things changed when I was about 16 years old. I was at a private school in New Jersey, and uh, I, was, uh, I went to something called the People of Color Conference, which w- is a yearly conference that unites uh, some thousand or so private school students from around the country. You go somewhere and they teach you what I now, uh, but didn't know at the time, it was called critical race theory and intersectionality. That was the first time in my life I heard concepts like 
systemic oppression, internalized racism, white privilege, and so forth. This is 2012, before that kind of stuff was mainstreamed. But so I thought it was very strange. I had never heard anyone in my uh, black extended family conceptualize uh, American society in these terms, but I kind of uh, um, I, I brushed it off as a kind of weird little excursion. Then I got to Columbia University, and in 2015, right as all of the, those same ideas were now spreading like wildfire throughout university campuses and elite institutions generally. And uh, I tell the story in my book at orientation. Um, I'm a 19 year old college freshman at this point. They. Uh, they, they have a, everyone get in a room and they say the black kids go to one corner of the room, the white kids go to another, Hispanic kids another, and Asian kids another. So besides the first pack, fact that I now have to choose between uh, my, my black half and my Hispanic half, uh, now there's just the fact that I'm, I'm noticing that everyone now sees me as a black student and uh, by implication, a kind of victim, right? So they, they ask you to talk about how you either participate in or suffer from systemic oppression. Now, keep in mind, this is the first week of college. You're trying to make friends. You're trying to meet people with similar interests. And before you get a chance to do that, they have implanted in everyone's mind now that the black students you're about to meet are victims and the white students are oppressors. The whole thing made me feel very awkward, made me feel a barrier between me and my potential fellow classmates and friends and so forth. And and my whole four years at Columbia was characterized by that philosophy. And it was at that point, just to finish, when I noticed the contradiction between what I had grown up assuming and what was now being accepted as, as normal. A lot of kids weren't bothered by that contradiction. I was. Good. Hold it there. Coleman Hughes is a, uh, a truly gifted young black intellectual. I hate noting that he's black, but it's relevant to this case. What am I going to say? I'm not going to fool you about it. The end of race politics arguments for a colorblind America. The New York Times even did a write-up on him, which is very interesting. They usually ignore. I wonder, Coleman, if the New York Times ever wrote a write-up on Tom Sowell in, in his half-century career of brilliant writing. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not, not that I'm aware of. I mean, I, I know the, the one time, I believe it was the London School of Economics, uh, wrote a, a review of his Intellectuals and in Society, I believe. And they... Mis- they released the book review misidentifying him as a as a white person. The book reviewer actually <laughs> really? dismissed. Yeah, this <laughs> That's is a, priceless. I, I talk about this in my book. It's a sort of infamous example. They they read the reviewer read his book and said, "Well, all these arguments easy for a rich white man to say." And then obviously right. they had an embarrassing moment where they realized that Thomas Sowell is a, a black man who grew up under Jim Crow in the South in a house with no hot water and no electricity, moved to Harlem when he was 10 and spent some of his adolescence in a homeless shelter. Yep. Um, and had to issue a correction. You, By the way, you will find this, I think you'll find this of interest. That happens to me uh, on a very uh, different identification, obviously. How often on the internet I will see after I'm attacked 
well, of course he says that. He's a Christian. And I'm a Jew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So I totally, I mean, I, of course, I, I've known Tom Sowell for many years. So you're, what you described as having ha, been in Columbia, I, I, which is where I, I was, that's, I told you before the show, I, was, I lived in New York through my 20s, or until my mid-20s. And uh, it was bad when I was there, but what you described is horrific. Now, let me understand something. They do this with all freshmen? They divide you into uh, racial categories? They definitely did it my year. That was 2015. I can't speak to what the policies are now, but it was. Uh, it didn't seem like an aberration. You know, it, it seemed like a pretty common in the post 2014. Okay, so were, were you repulsed? You were repulsed by it. Is that correct? Yes. What percentage of your classmates of any color do you think were repulsed? A lot more than would admit to it publicly. What we have to understand about these, the situation was a lot of people were privately skeptical or offended by all of these kinds of things, but would only admit to it in more in a kind of intimate private settings. So I would often joke with friends that at Columbia, you would sort of have to come out of the closet as non-woke. And there was this moment that friends would often have where they first tested the waters by sort of saying something slightly not woke. And then you would have this situation where both of you at once realized you weren't woke and had this huge weight lifted off your chest so that you can now speak freely. Right. So you're saying in your year at Columbia, 2015 graduate, Right? That's right. I got that right? Uh, t- uh, 2020 graduate. Oh, 2020 graduate. 2015 entered. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that, that's, that's rather recent. You think more students than the public might think were turned off by what you underwent with the race badgering? I'm almost sure of it. I mean, I, I, used, I used to talk with with like-minded friends to really try to guess what percentage of students were just believers in wokeness like true believers and uh, we would agree that it was probably five to ten percent at most okay that's that's awesome i i hope you're right what is the percentage of professors at columbia outside of stem science technology engineering math that is a that's a good question it's that one I couldn't answer. Um, it could be higher. I don't know. But but the, the real dynamic about it was that the 90% of students that ranged from just kind of like neutral to skeptical to apolitical to, in some cases, conservative, those kids were afraid of the 5% and the 10%. That's it. It's, all, it's the way it works. Yeah. Or wherever. Uh, uh... Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. 
Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The, the worst takeover, it's because they terrorized the rest. The, right. There is no exception to that in history from Mao to, to Lenin uh, to Colombia. It, it's... Yeah. it's so your book is subtitled Arguments for a Colorblind America. I'm, so I played very often on my show the coach of the New England Patriots who said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, that if you don't see race, you're a racist. This is the, the coach of an NFL team. Can you tell me what... That's so convoluted, the thought. Uh, what has created that a human being could think that way and think he's being rational? Yeah, I think um, if I'm remembering, it's either his exact quote or, or someone else has said said this the same oh, way. You, if you no, don't no, he, he actually, race, yeah, he said it. Oh, yeah, go on. I'm sorry, go on. Yeah. Yeah, many people have said this, if not. Oh, I see. If you okay. don't erase... If you don't see race, you can't see racism. That's right. That's it. Correct. It's a nice turn of phrase. It's a nice little talking point to get out of the real conversation. But let's actually for a moment understand what colorblindness means. Obviously, you, Dennis, you can see that I'm not white. I can see that you're, you're, you're white. We can see each other's quote-unquote race to that extent. When I say colorblindness, I don't mean you pretend you don't notice race or, or even that you pretend that you're incapable of racism. All of us are theoretically capable of racism. The point of colorblindness is that colorblind means I'm not going to treat you any differently because you're Jewish, you're, and I'm going to ask you not to treat me any differently because I'm black. And more controversially, uh, but more importantly, I'm going to ask the state to not treat me any differently because of my race. I go through policies in the book, policy after policy, where uh, the the... Uh, the government discriminates on the basis of race, even in situations that are emergencies. So I, I, I hope listeners to your show will be familiar with how the government handled COVID. Uh, when restaurants were going out of business left and right, and the government stepped in to save many, rather than save them on the basis of which restaurants needed it most, they triaged based on race. So essentially everyone except for white men, unless they were veterans, got put to the front of the line. And then this was challenged in the courts. It was a whole mess. The policy had to be reversed. And the net result was a, a terrible policy that ended up discriminating against countless restaurant owners on the basis of race. Some people probably lost their restaurant as a result. And the whole thing could have been done as Martin Luther King uh, would have recommended based on everything he, he wrote and said, which is, yes, we acknowledge racial inequality. Yes, we acknowledge the legacy of slavery. But let's address all of these things on the basis of socioeconomics and poverty and financial need, not on the basis of racially discriminating against people for something they can't control. So this is what the uh, I, I hope 
my book is a, uh, an opportunity for Democrats and the left to uh, re- revive and rescue what is actually a very popular principle among the Democratic base and certainly the Republican base, but which the elites have mm-hmm. uh, have rejected be- uh, because of these type of specious arguments. All right. Next time you're on, I don't. I rarely do this with a guest. Tell them what I'm going to ask, but I, I'm so anxious. What is appealing to many blacks about the idea of not being colorblind? Don't start now because we won't have the time. I want to push your book. The End of Race Politics, Arguments for Colorblind America, Coleman Hughes, a name you should uh, be aware of. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today. Send them to our website, townhallreview.com. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.